Welcome to Technology Forward, where we explore trends and developments in the additive manufacturing industry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's edition. As additive manufacturing gains acceptance as a production tool, the size of a typical 3D print slice data file is predicted to grow cubically. Handling all of these data could become an issue for the additive industry. I'm here today with Herschel Goyal, CEO and founder of Dendrite, to discuss potential solutions to this problem. Just a quick bio on Herschel. He is an inventor, engineer, and mathematician with degrees in pure mathematics and mechanical engineering from UC Berkeley. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Leslie. Okay, let's get started. Um, one of the questions I have is, what is going on with 3D print slice files? Are designers developing that many more complex designs or is software not catching up with designers' needs? So it's, it's actually quite a few things that are kind of culminating all together and they're actually kind of amplifying each other. So the first is, it's sort of like a Moore's law for manufacturing. And that if you look at uh, manufacturing printer bed sizes over the last kind of like three to four decades, you're basically seeing them grow in size, right? Like, so if you look at like the average size of stuff, you know, very early on, we're talking like about a hundred millimeters cubed, you know, something in mm -hmm. that range. Mm -hmm. And, you know, over the last couple of decades, you saw it go to 250 to 400 millimeters cubed. And now we're seeing a lot of machines coming out that are over one meter cubed. Mm -hmm. right? And so the volume volume grows cubically. Right. And so <laughs> because of that, you know, the amount of data that's required to feed that whole machine is growing. Right. Mm -hmm. That's only compounded by the fact that the resolution of the machines is also increasing, right? So not only is the overall size increasing, but the tick marks in between is increasing. And because that's increasing now, even also all the files are increasing, like from a complexity standpoint. Okay. And then because the files are increasing from a complexity standpoint, the amount of metadata you need to supply to the printer to properly print the files is also increasing. So it's just sort of this cascading, you know, phenomenon that's that's causing what, I, what I've kind of dubbed this, this data explosion issue, right? So they're all obviously interrelated, but they're all kind of stemming from, you know, these, these printers getting more robust going out of prototyping into production. And basically the software really hasn't kept up, kept up with it. That's going to complicate the speed issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it complicates it because, um, I mean, we, we just had an event where, you know, the CEO of SLM, he literally proclaimed that it was garbage, that their machine could literally print faster than anyone could prepare files for it. Right. Wow. So uh, certainly it, it detracts from the supposed value proposition of additive manufacturing, right? Which is on demand and unlimited complexity. And what we're realizing is unlimited complexity and on demand, you know, with high mix, high volume stuff, it's actually compute limited. It's not like hardware limited anymore. And so, okay. so that's kind of where we come in. Okay. So now let's explore, um, does the industry need a new way of getting CAD data to the print build? Not necessarily. In fact, the kinds of things that I suspect are going to work have actually been known to quite a few people since the 1980s. Hmm. Right? It, this is actually not a new or profound problem. So 
I'm guessing you might be familiar with dot matrix printers, mm -hmm. right? And how awful they were, right? And then eventually, a, a, a number of clever people came up with the laser writer and you know modern day you know printing. And <clears throat> one of the key things that enabled that was Adobe because they came up with something called PostScript, which is mm -hmm. an interpreted language for taking three-dimensional data and sending it to the machine. And the key to PostScript compared to you know, what was before was that it computed the data that the printer needed on the fly, right? And because it could do that, it could compute things at the resolution of the machine, right? So like if you're printing a, like a really big banner or like a book or something, it would always compute it at the max resolution of the machine. And if you just take that analogy and bring that into 3D land, you realize, wait a minute, we're literally talking about the same problem. We have printers, they're now 3D instead of 2D. And we have high resolution, effectively perfect data and namely CAD data, right? Instead of fonts, right? Mm -hmm. And why not then compute everything at the resolution of the machine on the fly in the machine or super close to the machine with, a, with like a DFE? Ironically, we don't actually need a fundamentally new solution. All the pieces and components of what we need to make that solution already exist. It's just sort of recognizing and learning from the past and putting them together again in the right way. Okay, so this might be a, a, a little bit of a lead-in question, but are there any products out there that do that now, or yeah. is that coming? Um, I have not seen anyone <laughs> to do that. <laughs> I mean, okay. I mean, that being said, I'm, I'm not going to say I know everything on the planet, but I've been in this industry for quite a few years. And I honestly think a number of people have chosen to put their head in the ground and ignore the problem. Right. And they're, they might be also worried about the wrong thing, if you will. And so honestly, I haven't seen anyone really pushing for it. And it's why I've made it kind of a part of our company's mission statement to kind of make compute an integral part of what we're doing and try to push and advocate for standards and, and sort of new ways to do this. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about uh, your product, the digital front end, and how does it apply to additive manufacturing? Um, I guess, I think maybe we should define what a digital front end is first, okay. because it, it honestly means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So <clears throat> to summarize, a digital front end is a, is a compact solution of a number of things coming together. It is software or firmware. It is a computer, it's GPUs, and it's even potentially controllers, right? And that all together is what, you know, I would call a digital front end, basically a high performance computer with specialized hardware in it to run a machine and software. And the idea is <clears throat> this digital front end this, this computer can live inside these 3D printing devices yeah. or it can live basically right next to them. And it will basically serve as the number crunching thing that feeds data to the machine. And there's benefits of having this high powered computer completely embedded in the machine right next to it. Or for example, in a server with like an optical interconnect, right? These are different network topologies. But the idea, the key idea is compute is necessary for modern manufacturing and where that compute is located is gonna be really, really important. And again, this actually harkens back again to the PostScript comment I made earlier, right? Adobe's PostScript system 
required all the printers to have a Motorola 68K chip in it, right? So this is not even, again, a new thing. It's like, if you want to go do this stuff, we already know you need compute to enable it. And so the modern day version is this DFE, you know, with like an NVIDIA chip in it instead. So it, this is more than just data management. What are some it's, of the other key features of it? So it's definitely much more than data management. I mean, that is definitely one of the key things that's driving it, but it's like, you know, it's, it's sending of course data in, it's also actually getting data out and using it, right? So a lot of these machines are getting much, much more sophisticated because there a lot of people are adding sensors into the machines, like, mm -hmm. like cameras for infrared or acoustic things and things of that nature. And you might want to actually use that data in, you know, for institute process monitoring and control in order to compute that volume of data and then use it to tweak or modify the print while it's happening. A, you need some pretty fast and sophisticated software and B, you need a thing to compute it on. Right, like you're not going to go read terabytes of infrared data and then compute it on an Arduino to modify a multi-million dollar laser, right? Like you, you need that there. The second thing that this becomes really important for is um, automation and, and, and how this CAD data enables it. So the CAD data, of course, is a much lower fidelity way of dealing with these complex designs because you don't need all these large mesh files also, the meshes, of course, are pathological in nature because you, you, you can't manually, you only have to like manually fix them. You can't automatically fix them, which to me immediately disqualifies them from being like a production process. But <clears throat> with the CAD data, you might want to actually compute that CAD data for specialized operations or, or automation, right? So maybe you have machines with special controllers that enable you to print splines and you wanna use the CAD data natively on the printer to improve the fidelity of your manufacturing process. Or maybe the CAD data comes with specialized color information that tells you tells the machine where to do things on different surfaces. And so you, don't, you can actually delay the compute to when you need it as you need it and do it on the machine. For example, the CAD data might say, these surfaces are special, they need to have better surface quality or finish because they're gonna to mate to something where this thing is actually a label pad and you just need to make sure that the thing that's making it makes something that's readable, right? There, there are different ways to do that. And by kind of A, upscaling the compute and by also improving the fidelity of the data coming in, namely the CAD data, not the mesh file, you can dramatically, in my opinion, transform the workflow and basically help automate it and make it production ready. So there have been some efforts to change some of the programs that 3D printers use, like with the STL files and uh, what is it, the 3MF and some other slicing programs. Does this digital front end eliminate the need for those kinds of programs? Yeah, completely. I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say <laughs> I had a personal vendetta against the 3MF and 3MF consortium. And this is where my marketing department yells at me. <laughs> but I think it makes that mesh stuff basically completely superfluous because any of the folks who are doing um, this kind of stuff in a production environment from a mechanical standpoint, they're gonna have the CAD data. And so there's no reason to really go to the 3MF or mesh file, right? The, the only real use case I've found for that type of data, which is valid, is a medical one, 
right? Where you're dealing with scan data and stuff that's a little okay. bit more noisy. But even then, when you read that medical data in, it's usually a DICOM file or point clouds, which basically come out to voxels. And most of these printers talk in voxels anyway. So why go through the effort and the pedantry of going through all that mesh 3MF stuff when you could just go to it directly? The 3MF was a band-aid to a solution that shouldn't have ever been a problem. <laughs> well, we used STL for so long. <laughs> and the history of its origination is, is atrocious. <laughs> I've talked to the people who were in the room when that happened. Okay. Um, so how does this design front end or this digital front end work with something like topology and generative design programs? Does it affect them at all? Or is it because those can now be kind of part of a CAD program, all of that's combined together? Yeah, it, well, it's, it's A, they're part of the CAD program. B, I mean, my pithy answer here is it actually allows all those things to be printed because the, the funny thing is we're at a unique point in time where the manufacturing hardware has actually surpassed the software, meaning people are literally making things and design software and whatnot that they can't actually manufacture, mm -hmm. right? And it's because of this data problem. And so whether they're doing it in traditional CAD or doing topology optimization or, or whatever it may be, the thing that we're working to solve with this digital front end is that compute problem. And so if you come up with some fantastic, crazy design, it's usually you have to make it simpler to actually print it because it, like the amount of time it takes to compute something is, is astronomical. You basically just need your CAD program and your 3D printer if you're using this digital front end. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that, that's correct. And the digital front end basically uses our engine an ACE mm -hmm. to do the compute, or you know, theoretically you could use another piece of software like the HP Universal Build Manager, which also uses our engine. But basically it all comes down to our engine being hyper-specialized to enable these high performance and compute applications. So where are we now then in the state of trying to make 3D printing systems <clears throat> or additive manufacturing systems much more capable of manufacturing? There's two sides to that. And I think there's, there's a little bit of a misnomer here. At least in this industry, I feel like people feel artificially compelled to say, no, really, this is a production process <laughs> as if they need to justify it for some mm -hmm. reason. And the truth of the matter is additive manufacturing is already used in a production environment in a number of use cases, mm -hmm. right? We're talking not like onesie twosie things. We're talking about thousands and tens of thousands and you know, hundreds of thousands of components being printed, for example, for like the dental market. Um, it's also being done in the automotive market as well, mm -hmm. right? So if you look around, there's actually quite a few things that are being done in, in that vein. What this digital front end does though, in my opinion, <clears throat> is, it, is it opens the possibilities of where else it could be you know, applied. Basically it's, it's reducing the, the OPEX cost of doing you know, additive manufacturing, which I think is a little understood and not really considered concept. Everyone is very focused on how many million dollars or thousand dollars the machine costs. And they're not considering the fact that, well, let's say you load a file. It takes you 15 minutes every day to load that specific file. You do that four times a day with 10 people in your company, you know, hundred to $200 burden rate. You've now wasted $20,000 a week loading in files. Right, like that adds up very quickly. Mm -hmm. And so having a system that is compute optimized, that is 
pushing the automation and, and pushing honestly open standards to, to make it so that more people can qualify materials quickly using, using our engine APIs, I think is hopefully gonna accelerate the adoption of production added manufacturing in more use cases. Now, this is a product that the average engineer is not going to purchase. This is something that the vendors have to work with. Is that correct? Um, not necessarily. So our, our target customer kind of fits in three categories. There's, of course, the, the printer vendors themselves, right? And we've kind of been talking about that. There is also the ISVs, the independent software vendors like Altair, Ansys, Hexagon, you know, anyone doing simulation because again, they have the same problem. It's a data problem, right? All of these folks are really good at simulation, physics, et cetera, but I'm talking about a geometric data problem, mm -hmm. right? Which is not necessarily the core competency of all software companies, right? And then the third one is actually the folks that are truly, truly trying to get into like hardcore production and need some bespoke stuff. And so our engine comes with not only C, C++ APIs, but Python APIs. And it's done that way so that the average, you know, mechanical engineer or technician is more than capable of actually interacting with the engine to try to tune parameters for their production process. Because if you're gonna go print tens and thousands of things, you can't have the printer have a failure rate. Which is, which is astronomical, right? Like you need to do the experimentation, you need access to all the knobs and dials. And quite honestly, anyone who's gonna go buy 25 plus machines to go do something is gonna spend the time to figure it out, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, does that mean that everyone is gonna go do it? No, but it does mean that we're also trying to reduce the barrier to entry again from the production side. And so we have to provide those knobs and dials in a way that can be consumed by, by folks. Um, but also, I, I used to actually teach the MATLAB and Python class at Berkeley when I was a graduate student. So I'm pretty familiar with you know, the, the aptitude of the average folks who are graduating, what they're comfortable with, what they're not comfortable with. And I'd, I'd honestly say over the last decade, there's been kind of a demographic shift in that you know, I wouldn't say that every engineer is a, you know, is amazing at programming per se, but every engineer who's graduating in the mechanical manufacturing medical sector is graduating with a cursory understanding of software and they can put stuff together, especially if they're given the resources, right? So there's been kind of an upscaling of the workforce, you know, across the board in this, in this part of the world. So in maybe two to five years from now, do you see a, a shift in the additive manufacturing towards a more capable manufacturing? I feel like it's, it's, it's a marketing problem. It's, it's like, for example, one common thing that's known in the industry is, you know, for, for a lot of these aerospace components, right? For especially mm -hmm. in the rocket industry, right? They're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars producing things. And even though they have high double digit percentage failure rates on the prints, they're still spending the money because it's worth it. Of course, our goal is to reduce the failure rate so that it's even more worth it, right? From a cost and money standpoint, mm -hmm. right? And in the, the more of the consumer sector, right? With the dental applications and the electronics applications, again, people are producing thousands and thousands of parts. I think what will happen in the next two to five years is people, are starting to really figure out additives place in this industry and will start to use it 
not in like necessarily like a let's use it for everything kind of way, but we'll really hone in on where this fits, how it's used and how it needs to be used. For example, maybe you don't actually use the additive part as the final component, right? Maybe you're using it as a, as a sacrificial component as a part of a production process, right? Like not everything has to be black and white in that sense, mm -hmm. right? And so I do believe though that additive is gonna find its place, I think enabled by software. I think that's the real bottleneck here um, over the next two to five years. All righty. Well, those are the questions I had. So thank you so much for your time. I appreciate your time too, Leslie. Thank you for asking them.